Hey everyone, Hoppo here. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get into the studio because of the COVID outbreak, so the quality of these episodes may not be as good as usual. But stay safe, and uh, we'll get through all this together. Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad, and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way, and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I chat to Rod Kerbox Kerr, who I've grown up with and been mates since five years old. Kerbox had 10 years on the World Professional Surfing Tour, where he was known for his natural ability, but also how hard he could party. Kerbox retired quite young from the tour to then start a career as a professional lifeguard, where he became one of the favourite characters on hit TV show, Bondi Rescue. We also, for the first time ever, Kerbox and I chat about a story when we were kidnapped in Queensland years ago. Then I read out letters from the mailbag. So now let's have a listen to my chat with Kerbox. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack for the first time, uh, a long-time friend, Kerbox, Rodney Kerr. How are you? Hello, Hop. How are you, brother? Good, mate. It's good to have you on. Well, it's about time you got on, mate. <laughs> well, mate, um, as we know, recently you've been through a rough few months and uh, sadly losing your mum recently. So, you know, how are you coping at the moment? Mate, to tell you the truth, mate, it's been a real battle. You know, I lost dad, then I had to leave work, as you know, after 23 years. Then mum just spiraled as well. I married for 62 years and... Uh, yeah, then she had two heart surgeries and then fell out of bed, broke a hip. And then, um, yeah, she ended up getting an infection and, uh, yeah, in, a, in her life. And, mate, it's been, yeah, it's been a battle. Last week, mate, was my first time in my life was my birthday and um, first time ever that I didn't have mum and dad. Mm-hmm. So it was really tough. Yeah, it would have been. It's um, something that, you know, you never get used to. It takes a while to sort of get through all that, uh, the, the tough times. But, you know, we've had a long history together as friends and also uh, as lifeguards. So take me back to uh, the first memory of us as kids. Well, you stole the flag off me, remember? With Uncle Bob Miller. You're in the starter's hands, and then you just went, fuck, I'm just taking this flag, and you took it off me. <laughs> I was always good at about it's Changer and Whippet, so I'm good over 15. <laughs> <laughs> well, back- and then you took the flag off me. <laughs> and then in those days, you get I think you get a pie and a can of Coke if you got the best and fairest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, that's the only thing I could beat in back in those days is, uh, is, on, the, <laughs> is on the sand. When it, when it came to the water, I couldn't get near you. 
Nah, mate, you hold your own, mate. I was talking to the boys on the weekend, mate. You hold your own, mate. Don't worry about that, mate. <laughs> well, mate, they were great years. Uh, tell us a bit about that, you know, growing up down there at Bronny. You lived right on the water there. Your house, you're still in at the moment. And, uh, you know, yeah. what a way to grow, grow up as a kid around Bronny Beach. Well, mate, as you know, like, the house has been a family house for, I don't know, through so many different decades. Like, 1913, I think, was built at... Um, my great grandfather built it, and we just kept adding and adding and adding. And you know, Bronte's like the hidden gem. Everyone knows Bondi and they know everywhere else, but Bronte's kind of hard to get to. You know, mm. what I mean, it's kind of like yeah. tucked away, and everyone wants to be there. But growing up with you, like we we were in the nippers together since we were five years yeah. of age, I think. Yeah, it's around five. And, and, and we get, so now, mate, we're going back 50 years, mate. <laughs> I don't like to say it. <laughs> but the thing is, um, back then, it was just like maybe half a dozen of us or something. And then now the nippers have just fluctuated, which is really good. But that's where we, we, we learn all our skills. I remember, remember uh, Kevin Walker used to get in with us and teach us how to body surf and, yeah. and catch waves and... and it was like an education that it was second to none. Like, yeah. I don't think the kids get that much anymore. But, you know, looking back at it, then it was just like a progression that went from there into Bronny Surf Club when I was 13. Um, I know you followed the same path as well, but, you know, you could ride those big canoe-looking things. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even I, sit on the fucking things. <laughs> I think they've, they've been called many names, goat, goat, goat boats and, uh, and everything else along the way, but now they're, uh, mate, they're, good, they're pretty good ocean skis now. Mate, you and Tommy have just written a new, new, new story. Mate, I can't even sit on the fucking things. <laughs> so from, um, you know, you, you said we got the the uh, experience down there in the water at Bronny, so... What came with your uh, the surfing? You know, what, what sparked that? What age were you when you started uh, really thinking I'm I'm going to be a, a professional surfer? Mate, I started surfing when I was four, and uh, funny enough, mate, it was down North Bondi yeah. because it's an easy, as you know, it's an easy way to get out. You take the rip out, and and the waves are a lot softer and they're a lot forgiving. Bronte's dangerous. Tamarama's probably the most dangerous beach in Australia. That's what I think anyway. And um, Dad used to make me go down to the lifeguards at the time, Merv the surf, and say, I have to, you make me swim four lengths of Bronny Pool before I could go out and surf. And um, as you know, you're the same, like you're fearless. But the thing is, um, if you're not that confident to be in the surf, you shouldn't be there. So all of a sudden, I wanted to be a footy player. That's the bottom line. Like yep. football was my ultimate dream to play for the Roosters, right? And then surfing's like what I did. But then I entered an event when I was twelve. It was a moving on eighty, and I went, okay, I'll have a crack at this. And then uh, I end up winning. But in the same year, I end up. I think I, well, I think I won the Bronte Board Riders Man on Man Challenge. That was the whole club when I was twelve, and. That just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And um, and then I was like, shit. And then all of a sudden, it never really sunk in, Hop. It never sunk in for hmm. me. Um, because, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, you just don't know that you're that good. And, like, I'm one of those guys, 
as you know better than anyone, go down the cube. And if you walk down with an ego, mate, dribbles and yeah. the boys would just carve you up. So you just, they just kept you in your place. Yeah. You know? And then all of a sudden, you know, like you go into a few events and then the turning point for me, I got a phone call from, um, I was with Quicksilver at the time and I got a phone call and they said, um, we want you to go to California and Hawaii when I was 15. And I went, I dropped the phone and I couldn't believe it. And then I was like, can I do this? Like 15 years of age on my own. And then I went and I stayed with um, Richard Cram and and Bryce Ellis. And I was there with Marvin Foster, Nicky Nielsen, Kong, Tom Carroll, like all, all the best. And I was just in awe, just going, what am I doing here? But but that that to me changed the whole ball game because then I went, maybe I could make a go of this one. I don't know. It's like, did you see any difference in me growing growing up through the years or not? Oh, mate, I reckon um, as you're talking about now, 15, you're always a good surfer uh, coming through Bronte. But I noticed that when you did go away overseas, and surfed over there. When you came back, it was another level, another level way above again. You probably didn't notice it, but you could really notice the the difference in your surfing. It really went to an. It went from a from a good level, I reckon, um, like a a board rider local uh, level, into where it was an elite level. I think because the main thing is, and I know you compete a lot on the skis too. You don't want to get left behind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Like, yeah, yeah. I think I saw a different side of it when I thought, well, as you just said, like, I'm either going to be an average great local guy or can I get to the next day? And I, I honestly didn't think I could pull it off. And then the results kind of started coming. And then and I went, okay, well, shit, maybe it could be a future. And then I remember the first time I knuckled down was the um, – you know, I, I had a pretty good career, and and you know that. Like yeah. as a as an amateur, I think it won't be beaten. It hasn't been beaten, but but yeah, I wanted to make the world titles, um, which was in England, and it wasn't because well, I went as number one seed, so I was pretty stoked. Dog Marsh pulled out. He he was going to be the number one seed, but he he signed a, a contract with uh, Hot Tuna, and he decided to to go pro and I went, you know what, I'm going to have one crack at this. But the thing was, um, it was just being amongst them, you know, we had Shmoo was there, Katia David, Jeff Booth, Kelly Slater was there. Kelly got third, I think. Mark's, the late Mark Sainsbury, Ross Clark Jones. Like, we, we just had it, like, all the, Shield Bedford Bandler, we just had this all-star team and the Americans with Dougie Silver and like these guys that you, you get to know who they are before you go actually go meet them. And um, it was just like the stepping stone I needed. I ended up running a fifth or sixth or something mm. because after three rounds, I think I won two rounds and I ate shit in the other one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, but then the top four guys qualified for the final. And then uh, it was just at that time and, and uh, a, a little – Side story here is pretty good because Shamu, the late Shamu, he was my best mate and he, him and I just didn't like each other. We hated each other. We snuck into this bar 
at the caravan park where I was staying at. Yeah. And he sat there and looked at me, and I looked at him because <laughs> I, I got knocked out. And he looked at me and he goes, what? And I said, what are you looking at? And he goes, you. And he would have been he would have been 15. I think yeah. I was 16. And he goes, I said, you want a beer? He goes, yeah. So we sat there all night, had beers. And he goes, you're going to turn pro after this event. And I said, yeah, are you? He said, yeah. He said, who are you going to travel with? And I said, I don't know. He said, you want to travel with me? I went, yeah. So that was the <laughs> stepping stone, the opening for me for the tour. And and everyone on the tour came through that era. Yeah. You know? And then what was it like when you went from that and then went on to the tour? Was it what you expected or was it just another nah, another level again? It was really difficult because, yeah, it was another level. Like, you think you, you're good and then you see the seasoned veterans, the Tom Carrolls, the Tom Currens, the Martin Potters, the Gary Elkertons, and then you go, oh, shit, how am I going to – and they're the guys you got to beat to, to – Get signed. Yeah. And then I remember that the, I was one of the first memories I ever had was I was laying in Bordeaux Airport. I went, I traveled on my own over to France and then I was laying in Bordeaux Airport. I couldn't cash travelers' checks. It was a Friday afternoon. The, the place shut down for the weekend and I slept in the corner like shitting myself. Fuck, I was just going, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> And then uh, Martin Potter came through and he goes, mate, what are you doing? This was like two days later. Yeah. Couldn't eat because I couldn't, I couldn't rent a car because I was too young. And Martin Potter goes, what are you doing? I go, mate, I don't know, I'm just on my own. He goes, come on, pack your shit, you're with me. And I'll never forget it. And Potts just took me and he was one of my idols just looking at me going, come on, mate, you're all right. And then... All of a sudden, then after a few events, you start to get to know guys, and but everyone was just. But back then, Hop, and, and you know, and you've met a lot of the boys, and uh, a lot of them are really good friends of yours. And the thing was, we were like a family traveling together. Like, I know it's a lot different now, but like, we would have been only maybe sixty of us, but probably thirty or forty be on every flight. We'd stay at the same places. And it was just like this family, you know. And then one minute you're traveling together, the next minute you're surfing against each other. Yeah. But there was never any, um, there was never any malice. There was never any arguments. But it was really difficult because, you know, me, I'm home. I was always homesick. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I know. I can imagine you always loved being at home and and coming back. And and those days you pretty much couldn't um, come back that often, could you? Because most of the the tour no, were overseas. Well, what- yeah, no, what we do, we take off in, we, we it's all changed up up and that. We'd be gone for nine months of the year. Yeah. Straight. I never had Christmas for, I think, 11 or 12 years. Um, I'd be gone the whole time. And as you said, you couldn't ring up whenever you wanted. Yeah. It'd be once a week on a, on a pay phone, re- reverse charges, of course. Yeah. No mobile phones, yeah. No mobile phones. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, mate, it was really hard. So you had to rely on the guys that you were competing against yeah. to look after you. Yeah. And and the late Derek Ho, whose memorial service was uh, on my birthday, he was like an older brother. So all the older guys would just look after you. Yeah. I don't know. And then, you know, as I got older, then I did the same thing. But it was just, it was, although it was. Real fun at the same time as hard. Right. 
Also, um, when you're on the tour, I mean, you, what was your – you got up to, what, fifth, I think, in the world at, at one stage? Uh, six. Six? Six? Six, yeah. Um, yeah. So what was like, what was that like? Well, I just had a good year. Yeah. Like, God knows how Kelly's doing what he's doing. Like, oh, I have no idea. Like, to stay that consistent, I just um, – I come out of the blocks that year. I was fit. I was healthy. I did a lot of training with Terry Day. Brad Gerlach, Pagey, and a few of the guys. And and um, I just went boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden, I was—I think I was second or third. That was after the Coke, the Gunstern, another event, I think. Then I did good in uh, England and France. I was just flying. But then I hit America and the brakes went on. <laughs> hit the brakes. <laughs> Too much fun over there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on we'll, we'll touch on those stories a little bit later, but yeah, keep, yeah. Keep going. But the, the best part was right the the place that I did the best, and I had I think I had two or three semi-finals, thirds, and and a quarterfinal was Japan. I yeah. don't know. I don't like the food. Yeah, well, I love teriyaki chicken, but I can't eat the sushi. <laughs> but it was just I don't know something about the place. I just <laughs> used to go really good. Maybe because there was no other distractions for me. <laughs> Maybe you, you couldn't understand the language, so yeah, you couldn't yeah. You couldn't get yourself in trouble. Mate, you're sleeping on the floor on a half a sponge mat. You got a dead fish on your plate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You got a bowl of rice. Thank God that I could I could eat. That's all I ate. Well, mate, they boiled rice. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> well, they must have loved you because uh, you had plenty of sponsors out of uh, Japan, didn't you? Well, yeah, Japan. Yeah, I had a of all. You'll have a laugh, rock hopper. <laughs> um, but me, Derek Howe, and, and Shamu were with them. But the thing was, at that time, I was with Town & Country, who were regarded as the biggest uh, surfboard brand in the world. And they had pots, they had uh, Mate Archibald, Archie, they had Christian Fletcher, they had Sonny Garcia, they had me, they had Sean Munro. Like, they had a really good team. So they were really prominent in, um, in Japan. So... If you went there without a sponsor, you were screwed. Yep. The amount of money. Like, we used to travel. We'd be in a limousine, and then we'd have another car taking all our um, all our luggage. And it was it was, it was was just so different. They'd sit there in their suits, and you'd just bow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I remember one night we were sitting around the table, and they brought out this big thing of sushi. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, like, don't eat it. And, they, and the interpreter's going, mate, you got to at least try it, otherwise it's disrespectful. And I went, oh, shit. So I had a slug on the on the uh, Sapporo beer, and I went, oh, this is heavy. They said, just have one mouthful, right? Yeah. Anyway, so they the guy goes, right, here, this is for you. So he's just got this, it was like a, it looked like a gelatin-looking, I don't know, it was red thing, and he, I got it, and I went, oh, God. I remember I, there was a window right next to me. And I put it in my mouth and went, I was trying to eat this <laughs> shit, right? And then I went, and they all started laughing. All, all the Japs started laughing. Yeah. And I went, poof, <laughs> out the window. Right? <laughs> and, and I go, what? And, and they go, raw horse. <laughs> it, was, it was fucking raw horse. <laughs> yeah, they stitched me up. They stitched you up. <laughs> yeah, they stitched me up. But the thing was, right, and I did good there, so... You had a choice of two things. You could either go get a geisha girl, 
yep. for a thousand a night, yep. or you could play golf for a thousand for a game of golf. So yeah. I, I'd go play golf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 What's uh, <laughs> in the uh, on the tour? Who do you think was the toughest uh, competitor you're ever up against? Uh, Damien Harbin, yeah. for sure. Yeah. The Ice Man, yeah. I never beat him. Yeah. I didn't beat him. Yeah. I couldn't. He, he said to me early days, he said, you know what? There's no way in this whole lifetime you'll ever beat me. Yeah. Mate, I beat Tom Carroll. I beat Kelly. I beat Tom Curran. I beat Potts. Sonny, Kong. But, like, the list goes on. Yeah. Like, all, all the my heroes I beat. Yeah. I couldn't beat him. <laughs> I couldn't beat him. I never did. Yeah. Ever. And I hate him for it. He just looks at me and laughs, even to this day, he laughs. <laughs> Louis Egan, Hoya, I beat them all, yeah. but I couldn't beat him. Just couldn't beat him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He gave me nothing. But um, the funny thing is a lot of a lot of the boys, like, they don't seem to care. Like, I'll tell you one good, really, really good story. This is how good a bloke Martin Potter is, right? So we're in Japan. We're talking about Japan, right? So we're at the end and surf was massive. It would have been 15 to 20 foot was a typhoon and um, the current was just going straight down the beach. So we had to act, literally jump in a van and then they drive us along the beach right about 500 metres you jump in. By the time you got back, you're in front of the competition area. Oh. Anyway, uh, after a while, a couple of guys complained because they weren't getting a lift because they didn't have the sponsors. <laughs> so they'd have to run and we'd go flying past them in the, in the minivan, right? <laughs> One bloke had a, a Todd Hole on the moth. He had a bloody push bike and he was pedaling up. <laughs> but anyway, we're, we're in the, we're in the uh, semifinals and it was me against Martin Potter. And um, I caught a wave and I, I, I came in. It was just like you're taking off a reforms and then hoping that the wave would show something on the inside. And uh, I remember I was running up the beach and I'm like, Pig trotting in our shit yeah. outside, run off. <laughs> and I run up the beach, and then I, then all of a sudden, and Potts was going for the world title that year. <clears throat> Next minute, I look around, and Potts is flying like, you. Yeah. And I said, hey, what do you think you're doing? And he goes, what? I said, mate, you're making me look bad, you dick. <laughs> and he goes, oh, okay. And to Potts's credit, he stopped, and we he, we ran together. Yeah. He jogged. We jogged together, then I beat him. <laughs> <laughs> then I beat him. Yeah, unreal, unreal. He probably he's probably regrets it to this day, does he? <laughs> no, I won him the world. I won him the world title because the following week, the next event in Japan, I had to surf against Derek Ho in the quarterfinals, and Derek and Potts were going for the world title together, and I was staying with Derek and. Um, yeah, you don't want to throw a heat as much as I love Derek, but I, I you can't like I want to win. I want to win the event. Yeah, and I knew Potts was if I beat Derek, Potts wins the title. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me just to say, "Remember that fucking run up the yeah, beach?" Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't say anything anyway. I beat Derek, and then uh, me and Potts at the Hard Rock Cafe in Rapongi drinking Dom Perignon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Potts, I swear it up. Yeah, yeah. That, so that was all right. So but Derek didn't talk to me. Terry didn't talk to me for about six months. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, he didn't talk to you, but you won the uh, world title for Potts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we're still to this day lifelong best yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. So what, you know. what would be the, the toughest 
surf break on the tour that you ever surfed? Pipe. Yeah. Pipeline. Yeah. It's only because it's, it's so dangerous. Like, people don't realise that you, you're surfing a wave that's breaking maybe not even 50. Oh, yeah, 50 metres off the beach. And in Australia, like, we've got that continent on shelf, so it breaks down the, the swell, but it's just raw, right? It just comes straight in and you're going, oh, my God. And I remember sitting there next to Potts at the time and I was about to surf a heat and I was just sitting there going, and you could feel the ground just shaking. Yeah. And and uh, I was going, are you scared? And he goes, yeah. And I go, that's the world champion right next to me. He's, he's scared. And I, they go, you got to go out there. And my sister was on the beach with a couple of friends and I was just going, you are not going out there. And I was like, I've got to do it. A lot of guys pulled out, but pop, you yeah. know, like a lot of guys, which is not, it's not been, um, been a coward or anything, but like, it, if, if you're not up for it, that, it's fine. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, I had a heat and I remember I was getting frustrated because this one guy kept paddling and then pulling back on the inside. Yeah. And I was like, fucking have a crack. And I ended up in the T David Poto, one of the Tahitians best. And uh, he was just making it look like easy. He surfed Chopu as big as it gets. And I just went, right, that's it. I'm going. I don't care. If you try to pal inside me again, I don't care. I'm going. Anyway, that was a mistake. Yeah. So I just launched straight down. Would have been a 12-footer. The, the coral reefs, like, well, it's like not coral. It's like lava. And, and it was like maybe waist deep. Yeah. I went head first, speared in. Um, I remember I came up and I, I was seeing stars <laughs> and I was going, oh. and my caddy ran down and threw in the ball. I said, fuck off, I don't want it. <laughs> there was no jet skis back in those days. And I'm going, go away. He goes, here's your board. I go, what board? <laughs> but in the end, I grabbed it and I paddled back out and I got I got two more. But that was that's still to this day. This, for me, it's the scariest way um, by a mile. Yeah. Mate, uh, I want to start now. We'll talk a bit about uh, lifeguarding. Obviously, a lot of people have seen Bondi Rescue and they see the good parts of it. So I want to talk about more the serious part of the lifeguarding and we've all been through it. It's the ones where we get the, um, the body retrievals, we get the resuscitations, all that that we've dealt with throughout our career. Just tell us a bit about that and, and how tough... It, it is on us as lifeguards dealing with something so serious. Well, to be honest, mate, the first resuscitation I did was with you. Yeah. If you remember, it was at Bronte. And uh, it was a bodyboarder. And and we didn't have the equipment that we have today. You know, there was no defibrillator, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know how we bumbled through it, but we, we, we saved it. We got him back. Yeah. But in saying that, there's so many times that you're going in blind. You don't know what you're going to get. Things could be really good at one stage. Next minute, they could spiral and they could be the worst thing you've ever seen. You just got to back your training. But I must admit, it. it when you lose someone, mate, it, it hurts hard. Like, there's no doubt about that. I would have done it over 60-odd resources like yourself. You know, like, there's some that... Are, pretty easy they respond straight away you and i are fortunate enough that one we did with uh, jeff williams like 
you know, I didn't know it was a friend of mine's dad. And if you remember, I think yeah. we shocked him six times or something. Yeah, it was and a lot then, of times. Um, we worked hard, like, for half an hour. And, um, you know, like, it's really rewarding. But at the same time, when you lose it, it's hard, mate. Yeah. It's hard. So how um, do you deal, you know, with it? It's affected all of us over the years and, you know, you go through some dark times and do you think that oh, af- mate, affects other parts of your life as well? Oh, mate, it, it killed me. Like, it, the one we had with the, uh, like, as I said, I've done a lot of them, right? And some you're not so, I shouldn't say worried about. You're not, it doesn't hit you that hard. But the one I did with... Um, singlets and the boys and and you remember you yeah. rang me and and uh with the norwegians and and that was the double drowning wasn't it the double drowning yeah. and it, like and i was in a position where i was like what do i do here and i had to use my head because i had all the boys are in and then chapo was on the um he was on the bike for the for the film crew and he goes box i got it you start and i went sweet and i i wanted to stay dry because i knew that i would gonna, I was gonna have to shock one of them, yeah. and you can't, as you know, you can't shock them when you're wet. So I thought, wow. and it was like the hardest thing. I'm watching Singlets, who did probably one of the most amazing jobs I've ever seen, pull the the unconscious lady, and he just drifted onto the bank, and then Corey Oliver and 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 Wall and that and um, Chapo, they were doing so well, but this guy was so big and heavy, and they were trying to come in and. And I'll never forget it. Like, it was just, it was surreal. I was just going. So, Singers and I were just doing CPR. Jeff Ray brought me down the D-Fib. That didn't work because she was gone. And we we pretty much just manually did CPR for, like, I don't know, maybe half an hour. And I just went, there's no way this lady's coming back. And then I was like, where the fuck are the boys? I was waiting for the cavalry, you know. There was no cavalry because they're all in the water with the guy. And I looked around, I'm like, they're still in there. And then uh, for what people don't understand about Bondi Rescue, and I'm going to tell them straight right now, is that the crew were there and they said, what do we, What can I do? And I said, fuck your cameras off. Get the, get the, this, get that for me, grab that. I need you to help me. And you know what? They did. Yeah. They did. And, and people – probably don't see that side of the whole show hop and you know that and i've used hands gary russell a few phil i've used them all marty you know like those guys were just like i said listen this they they could tell it was on so in their amazing efforts they sent a text message out to every lifeguard and said listen it shits hit the fan right now if you're available get down here and then Glicky and Max Ashford and all the Itchy and Ben Davies, all these guys were turning up. And I remember Max Ashford tapped me and he goes, mate, I'm here. Do you need a break? And I went, oh, God. It was like heaven. But the thing was, we saved our lady. Yeah. Right? I don't know how, but we got her back. But when you looked, when I looked across and I saw – Corey and and Wall and um and Chapo and that they had their heads down. I was just like, oh fuck, because like that scenario, it doesn't just hit them; it hits all of us. Yeah. Everyone who was there, even yourself, right? Because it, it look, we're all together, right? So it didn't matter if you were there or you weren't. But that goes around the whole thirty six guys. 
and everyone's ringing each other going, you okay, you all right? And the thing is, you're not all right. And then I remember uh, I had to go up to Luke Daniels, one of the other lifeguards' uh, wedding. I had to be in Byron Bay the next day by 12 o'clock. And I had to drive pretty much straight away at 7, 5 past 7, straight to, to Byron Bay. And I remember I got in the car, mate, I was just, my head was just, I don't know where I was. I was in outer space. And then I remember you gave me a phone call, if you remember, and you were probably, you and Scott Field, the two of you, you, you rang me and said, you're all right? And I said, no, I'm not all right. And he said, well, don't go. And I said, well, I've got to go. And the thing was, it was just the phone call was good. It yeah. was amazing. Just that one phone call, because then I thought, okay, I'm not doing this on my own. Hoppo's just called me. And, and uh, I went, even though I was fucked, and I admit it, I was fucked, yeah. I got up to uh, I got up to Coffs Harbour, I think it was like 2 in the morning. I remember I just sat there. I didn't even close my eyes, pulled over some shitty little motel. Wait, I well, didn't wake up, just put, put my head straight back on, went straight to Louis Daniels, didn't have a beer. Uh, Beardy and, and Azza and all the boys, itchy, all the boys were there, and they said, "Mate, we didn't think you'd be here." And I went, "I can't even believe I'm here." And then about three days later, I was supposed to go to a, a good friend of ours, um, Paul Sermon, Brizzo's fiftieth birthday. I couldn't go. Yeah, I just couldn't go. I literally couldn't go. And uh, he was so cool. Like you know, he he didn't give a fuck because he knew everyone knew that what had gone on. But it hit me three days later, and I just—I remember I sat on the point of Burley on my own, and just just looking at the water, going, "What the fuck just happened?" Yeah. And people don't understand that side of it. But get just getting back before I, I move on is that in the meantime, I'm on the phone ringing up a counsellor to to go down the next day when I asked you if it was okay, and you gave me okay. And I uh, and I organised a counsellor to go and speak to the boys. But the thing was, I was worrying about them. But the thing was, I wasn't okay. Yeah. It, it, I, I tell you now, you know that, and you probably you probably knew that when you spoke to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you do. You can tell. I've known you for so many years. I can tell when you're not okay and when you are okay. And it's something that it concerns us. We're one big family as as a lifeguard service, and people listening don't realise behind the scenes how it affects us and. And I think the other thing too is when you go home to your family, you explain to your family what had happened, but they don't understand either unless you've been there and involved with the whole situation. I remember uh, when the TV show first came up, my family were like, holy shit. I didn't know that you guys just go through that much. And I went, people just think... Um, Oh yeah, this yeah, and they do a couple of rescues, but they don't realise that whether it's a bomb on the beach, me and Kyle that time, yeah, or there's and you you came down that time, or yeah. there's a, you know, there's a fire, or there's when Maxie and Jesse went there, or there's yeah, Ben Quigley smashed the window of a car because a young baby was trapped in the car, and like there's a lot of other stuff people don't realise what we do. That's right. Going up to like, the gap I, and doing the body retrieval. So that oh, was, uh, there's I broke, the amount well, of years. I my, well, I broke my foot trying to get a get a, get a body hmm. from the gap. Me and Chapo went up in, in some pretty large swell. I went back to work for an hour. I had a broken foot in three places. Yeah. And I was out for four months, as you know. 
um, I saw you years ago. If you remember, you, you, you were rescuing a person at Bronte, and it was massive, and you just ate shit, and you dislocated your shoulder. Yeah. Harry's dislocated his shoulder. Jesse broke his pelvis. Yeah. Like, the list goes on. And that that's all in the part of the duty of doing your job, but people don't realise that. <laughs> they just... And, and then all of a sudden, we can't go home, right? Yeah. So you come back, right? One minute... I remember I drove up with Jesse these first time and, and we had to go up for a suicide at the Gap. And I, he, I got Jesse to drive because he's probably the best driver of, of, of the skis. And I said, whatever you do, don't look, right? If we find it, let me deal with it. And he goes, why? I said, if I can shelter you as much as I can right now, don't look. And he goes, okay. So we get up there and then um, we couldn't, well, obviously, the police launch couldn't get in there. And then we were trying to save the rescue guys from having to abseil down. And I, and I straight away, I saw it, it, was, it was a lady and she blown out of her clothes. And, and uh, I said, Jesse, don't look. And he goes, okay. And then all of a sudden, as we come up by the side, I said, you go by the side. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to grab her. I'm going to swim her over to the, the police launch, right? What's he doing? He's looking. I said, what did I just tell you? And he goes, I couldn't help it. <laughs> and anyway, so I swam her over and then, and he was just like, he was just looking at me and he wasn't there. He just wasn't there. Yeah. And I see you're all right. He goes, no, I'm not all right. And he goes, and then, but we've got to go back to work. Yeah. So after all that ordeal, you don't just pack your bags and go on. Yeah, yeah. You've got to go back and work. Yeah. And um, the hardest part is that people don't understand that. And then what you just said before, Hop, is so true. You've got to go back to your family, your girlfriend, your wives, whatever it is, and then they don't understand what you but they don't understand what you've been through, right? But the thing for me is that I was kind of lucky in a way because my dad was a fireman. So yeah. mum and that kind of they knew when to talk to me and when not to. And yeah. I remember the time that the first time that you and I did our first, my first recess and that was with you. You had the, you and I had the hardest rescue still to this day that I ever done. Yeah. And then, uh, and I remember I sat up there and I sat on the balcony. And my dad handed me a beer and he goes, "You're right." And I just bawled my eyes out for about half an hour because it was the only way to release. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people have different ways. Whether it's meditation, whether it's um, going for a run, having a cigarette, yeah, having a beer, or whatever you got to do. Yeah. But, but the the thing is, mate, it's, at some stage it's going to come back out. Yeah. 100%. And, and that, that's been the hardest part of our job. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the problem that can come out later on. But, mate, we've got so many stories, and I'm going to have to get you on again because we've got so many. Uh, but there's one yeah. last thing that I'm going to do, which nobody has probably heard. It's a story, uh, and, and it's, a, it's something we it happened to us together. And we're going to finish this episode with this one. Um, it's the time that we got kidnapped. <laughs> so if I get, if I get stabbed, <laughs> shot, killed after this one, mate, it's on you, right? Well, uh, after everyone hears his story, it'll be it'll be me. <laughs> it'll be me well, copying he, he didn't like you anyway. He liked me. He punched me in the head, but he still liked me. <laughs> so, 
So let's set this uh, picture oh, and, uh, and, and let's go through it. All right. So, <laughs> oh, so we're at the uh, the launch for the new series of Bono Rescue, right? So, um, up in Brisbane, Channel 10, Channel Ten had all their new shows that they are going to produce. So we we're there with um, the guys from MasterChef, and and uh, there's a whole bunch of them. And uh, it was you and I. We went up to Brisbane. Yeah. Anyway, we were, as usual, you and I were just keeping to ourselves. I think we were hanging out with a MasterChef guy, yeah. Matt Cravat and the boys and, and George. And they were cool as. And then um, the girls, I think, from 10 said, oh, what are you guys going to do? And you and I were like, I don't know. And they said, oh, we're going to go to the casino. And you and I went, no, yeah, all right, we'll come along. No worries. So anyway, we've got the casino. Little did we know that one of the girls had had a bust up with um, her boyfriend. So we get to the casino and you're chatting away and I'm chatting away and I think I was playing roulette or something. Next minute this guy turns up and, mate, he was scary. He was like, uh, I don't know. He was yeah, he was scary. Built. <laughs> Dreadlocks. He looked like, yeah, he was like the scariest guy I think I've ever seen. And I was like, he goes, which one of you is is Kerbox and is Hopper? Oh, me and him. <laughs> and you pinned it, right? <laughs> well, he punched you in the nose. Yeah, and he turned around and I said, oh, what's your problem? And he goes, what? And I go, well, what's your problem? I'm just playing roulette. I, I don't even know. He just went... Bang! Punched me straight in the nose. I went, oh. okay, what was that for? He goes, because you're being cheeky. I just went, my eyes are watering, and I looked, and then everyone scattered. Yeah, everyone yeah, got, yeah. everyone took off. And I'm standing there, just with these watery eyes. I thought my nose was bleeding. And I go, I can't believe he just punched me in the head. And he goes, buy me a beer. And I went, oh, God, what's going on here? Anyway, you've taken off, right? <laughs> and I'm going, he go, he grabbed me by the neck and goes, you're going nowhere. And I go, what? And all the girls from, from 10 who were lovely, they were so nice to us, yeah. they took off. Everyone took off. Yeah. I'm just stuck in the casino. So I'm going, how the hell am I going to get up into the room? Because you had your room and yeah. I had my room, yeah. right? And I'm like, how... How am I going to get up there and get away Get away from this guy, right? And then he goes, if you even try to run away from me, you're in trouble. And I went, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? <laughs> so anyway, I, I go up I, I go up, and he's he's right next to me, and uh, he goes, mate, you're, he's got me by the neck, by yeah, the way, yeah. like this. You're going nowhere. <laughs> and I went, oh, shit. So then I get up there to the room, and then he goes, I want a drink. So he rips my mini bar open, right, and just takes the whole lot out and plonks it on the bed and just starts necking him. And I'm going, oh, beautiful. He's going to pass it. I'm going to fucking pin it. Anyway, so (laughs) I've ended up sleeping on the floor in the corner and he he slept in the bed. And I'm thinking, okay, I've only got four hours to kill before we get on the plane. And then I thought I could just slowly get my stuff together and just get out the door and pin it, right? 
lo and behold, who starts whacking on the door? You. <laughs> well, I was wondering where you were. I'm, we had to get the plane. I'm going, where's Box? I can't find him anywhere. So I'm banging on the door and I couldn't get in and ended up getting the uh, the cleaning lady was coming along. So she's opened the door and I've, I've walked in here. You are on the floor. And this guy's in the bed, but he had the long hair. And I thought, oh, geez, maybe Box was picked up last night, you know? <laughs> Anyway, till I, till I realised it was the guy from the night before, and I'm going, oh, this is not good, and oh, maybe you're trying to pack your bag and be quiet, and anyway, yeah. I but stole his shoes. St- I think I stole yeah, his shoes. Yeah, and the excuse there was, I said, what are you stealing these shoes for? Well, he said, oh, he won't be able to run after us. <laughs> anyway, as you said... I, uh, all the noise I was making, I've woken him up and, oh, jeez, it was like wake, waking up an angry bear. You remember, then we go downstairs, he goes, I don't care what you think you're doing, you, you're not leaving me. That's and right. I, remember, we were checking out and then uh, I'm going, mate, this is heavy. Yeah. And he goes, look, I'm taking you to the airport. And, and we're going, no, 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 we'll just get a cab. Yeah, yeah I remember, and yeah. Then, <laughs> and he goes, no, you're not, well, I'm taking you to the airport. And I was going, oh. God, and he's still in barefoot, right? Yeah, yeah, by the yeah, way, yeah, yeah. he had no shoes. His, your shoes are, his shoes are in your bag. <laughs> yeah, I took his shoes. I stole his shoes. <laughs> and then, and then you and I stand there going, "Oh my God, this is heavy." So he goes, "I'll take it." Yeah, I said, all right, "All right, all right, no worries." So we got to his car, <laughs> and then remember we were going, we, like we're all driving, the signs yeah. were going airport. Well, I kept, yeah, I kept airport. saying to him. Um, Look, mate, because I knew we were in Brisbane, so the airport wasn't far. <laughs> and it, we've, we've done about 20 minutes driving around, around, around. I said, mate, come on, we're going to miss our flight if you don't get us to the airport. Well, you knew where we were going. You, you knew. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I had no idea because yeah. you'd been at Noosa well, like a shitload yeah. of times. Well, you kept telling me to shut up, shut up, and shut up, Hoppo. And yeah, I'm going, oh, this he is didn't like you. No, he didn't. didn't like you. He, said, didn't like he, goes, oh, he goes, Kev, I feel like you. I don't like Hoppo. Yeah. I don't like that, Hoppo. <laughs> and I was trying to... I don't like you, and you're going. <laughs> I was trying to be nice to him, but anyway, when when I started to see the uh, the signs starting to come up, um, we're doing about 140 on this highway, and these signs kept coming up like Malula Bar, Noosa, and I'm going, oh, hang on, we're we're going the wrong way here, and he kept saying, I remember him saying. Just shut up. You'll see the planes coming up over the hill soon, you know, like, and I'm going, no, nah, we're, we're on our way. And then he suddenly locked the door, all the doors locked, and I'm going, oh, we're in all sorts here. So I have my phone, right, and I text Ginge, and I text Mum, and I was, I was under the thing going, help. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm in trouble. Don't ring my phone. Get help. <laughs> and I remember he, you, you tried to keep calming him down and, and I'm sitting in the back seat behind him and I couldn't do much because, you know, we're going so fast. And then I thought, what are we going to do here? Like, so after the, the, the doors locked and I thought we're, we're no hope and we're driving along, we're trying to go, mate, can you pull over? And then you came up with this, uh, this idea that you need to go to the toilet. Yeah, I did. I said, listen, mate, I, I don't know what's going on. Because I, I thought to myself, you know what? This is not good. And then I go, mate, I've got to piss. I'm going to piss my pants. And he goes, hang on. And I went, mate, I can't hang on. I'm going to wee in my pants. And he goes, righto. Remember, he pulled over to the side of the road. And, <laughs> well, it was uh, a was, dirt road, remember? We were going up this yeah, dirt road. Yeah, it was a dirt, dirt road. And I'm going, oh, my God, this yeah. is not good. And then I remember... 
there was like a little homestead. Remember, right yeah. in the distance, it would have been about three, four hundred meters away. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I remember. I remember. He goes, right, I hurry up. He goes, I'm watching you, Hoppo. I'm fucking watching you. <laughs> so we we get out. We get out, and as soon as the door opened, I just booked it. I just yeah. fucking pinned it, mate. Because yeah, yeah. I knew you were going to beat me because you, yeah, you yeah. blow me away on the run race. Yeah. <laughs> and I was running as fast as I could. And you just went, shoo, straight past me. Well, I saw you go, and I'm thinking, well, I'm going as well. But, but before that, he, he was, when we are driving, he was reaching under his seat. He couldn't get something, I'm thinking. So when we're running up this dirt track towards the homestead, <laughs> I'm just waiting for the gunshot, you know, to the, <laughs> to the back of the head. And I'm just going, oh, this is not good. And we, anyway, then we, we just heard him spin the wheels of the car and yelling out and I'm off he, get off you. he went. I'm yeah, going to yeah, get you. Yeah. And he threw, our, he threw our shit out. He just done a big burnout. And I think I was screaming at the guy in the home said, help. <laughs> <laughs> and the old bloke came out. He goes, what's wrong? Go help. Anyway, <laughs> we, just got kid- we just got kidnapped. <laughs> we got kidnapped. <laughs> and remember, and then we went, how the fuck are we going to get back to Brisbane? <laughs> well, then I remember we had to ring the, the PR girls from 10. And because uh, by this time we've missed our flights and everything. Oh, we missed our flights. Yeah, we were uh, MIA yeah. in that stage. Well, we're an hour from Brisbane Airport at this stage. And then... I'd, I'd think to this day they still don't believe the story we spun them. I think they thought these blokes have got on the drink, they've hung, they've been hung Mate. over, slept in, missed the flight. Well, well you know what? Now they can listen because it's a true story. Hundred <laughs> percent true story. No, I, I remember. I, I remember. I said on the plane when we finally got the plane. Look, you go. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> <laughs> you go. You go. It's your fault. <laughs> I said he liked me. He didn't like you. <laughs> oh, mate, it was hilarious. That, that I just can't believe oh. um, the situations that we got ourselves in. But anyway, at least oh, we got out of it, and that was a, a bonus. Well, the I best suppose. thing is, mate, we're still here, right? Yeah. <laughs> Stranger things that happen, but we're still yeah, here. We're still here. Anyway. Uh, Box, mate, it's it's great to have you in the beach shack, and I, I think uh, you know we're going to have to get you in again. The uh, the stories, I think the the people listening love your stories, and we'll do it oh, all mate, again I've soon. Got play. We'll uh, we'll dive in a bit deeper next one. Yeah, all good, <laughs> mate. Thanks for coming. All right, thanks, Hop. Good seeing you, brother. Cheers, love brother. you, mate. See you, mate. How good was it hearing Kerbox's story? What a larrikin he is. Now let's go to the mailbag. This week's letter is from Jacob, and he's in the US. Do you ever think about how many generations will exist on this earth because you save people who are able to continue living their life, having kids, also their kids having kids, and so on? Well, Jacob, yeah, it's probably something I haven't thought of, something that uh, is a good point. You know, we save people on a daily basis and uh, over all these years that, you know, those people have grown up and then had kids and and those kids have had kids and I suppose if uh, we didn't save them the uh, outcome there would be that yeah the generations wouldn't continue from the from them so yeah thanks for your question and uh, something that uh, is worth considering and I'll probably tell uh, all the other guys at the beach and and let them know 
what we actually do uh, to keep those generations and generations going. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments or follow us on our social media channels which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.